sub and fried Asian. I'm your host, Keith Chow. This is a special episode. It's a little different from the episodes we've done in the past. I'm actually talking to my brother, Raymond Chow. He's run out of guests. <laughs> he's found all these Southern Asians he could find, and he's scraping the barrel. Well, so it's not, uh, you're actually not my guest. I'm having you on so I can talk about me. <laughs> oh, oh, are we? Are, we're just going straight into that dynamic right away. It's wow. therapy. Wow, this is okay. Okay, I don't sure. care about your life. <laughs> see, see, for those of you who don't know us, that's more true than you think. <laughs> <laughs> it's not true. I do care about your life. No, I know you care about my life, but in the context of talking about your life. Yeah. So there is this transformer toy yeah. I bought. <laughs> yeah. This is really this is really the prequel so you can launch your your toy show by and this is your excuse to talk about your transformer toy. Yeah. That show was already launched by the way. I I I'm it shows say, how much you pay attention. I don't buy toys. So this is this is the Chow Brothers episode <laughs> of Southern Fried Asian. You guys want an hour and a half of this? <laughs> You're welcome listeners oh and this is the thing southern fried asian has got a higher profile now this is the first podcast we've recorded since vanity fair deemed us an essential aapi podcast uh apple podcast has curated us alongside a bunch of other asian american pacific islander podcasts that are way more important than this one so welcome new listeners I will do my best. This is this is the brother, and I I realize also you pick someone that sounds like you, so this isn't going to this this isn't good. Well, this is our homage that they call us Bruce, where Jeff oh. and Phil sound exactly alike as well. So yeah, we should just preface every time we start talking uh, with hello, this, this is Keith. Yeah, yeah, this is Raymond. <laughs> do you really think we sound? Look, this is a question to the listeners out there. Do we sound alike? Do you know who's speaking right now? I, I don't think we sound alike, but I know that people do think we sound alike. Facebook thinks we look alike as well, and well, I don't yeah, see that which, at all. I mean, but that's like, I mean, I'm more forgiving for the algorithm to think that we look alike. Like, because, I mean, I mean, it, I'm not, it's not crazy that we would sound a little bit alike, right? Like, other brothers that I know sound like each other, but not to the degree that, like, people can't distinguish us. Whereas I feel like, I don't know how many other situations I don't actually yeah like just other like conference calls we've been on together I feel like that's happened where people didn't know who was talking I, I always said that like if I ever had an interview a phoner that I had to do and I couldn't do it that you could literally dial in for me and just pretend to be me I'm pretty sure you've also suggested that for just like any for like in-person events <laughs> <laughs> just nerds of color stuff in general yeah he just, just oh, be he me. Wants- he looks seven years younger for some reason, but that's fine. You know, Asian don't raisin, man. You know, okay, look, look we, we can start. We can start there. I have two. I have two dumb ideas about that. You want to hear the first dumb idea or the second dumb idea? Let's start with the second. Okay, so the second dumb idea is okay. It's true. You, you don't age, right? Like Asians don't age. Fine, that's true. But what happens is. If you have like a face that looks forty, even though you're twenty five, you have that face. <laughs> forever you just look 40 forever like right like there's asians that look 40 and they just stay looking 40 forever and then you have you know you look like a 13 year old until <laughs> into your 60s so it's like is it really great that you don't age because you still look like a child well that's the thing about asian aging as well is that like you don't age for 
the majority of your life, and then for the last ten, you look like right. a really old person. Like right. I don't know. What except that... I've got exactly. Except you know what we've got. I won't name which uncle, but we've got an uncle who's looked like he's been sixty since he was like thirty-five. <laughs> you know, I know which uncle yeah, you're I know, talking you know, about. I know you know which uncle, but that's what I'm saying. Like, but the question is: is does the uncle listening right now know which uncle yeah, we're talking it's fine. about? It's fine. I'm pretty sure he does too, though. Is it? <laughs> yeah, he knows. But that's what I'm saying. Like, he's just. But he hasn't aged a day. He looks exactly the same because he's looked like he was sixty-five since nineteen eighty-two. <laughs> This joke only works for a very select group of people listening to this no, podcast. No, everybody's right now. got that Asian uncle. Everybody's got that uncle that. So, what's your first hot take on Asian? Oh, well, Asian? the other okay. So, the other hot take is is I'm pretty sure that that's just a marketing scam by big Korean skin, <laughs> right? Like it's oh yeah, Asians Asians don't age. Then you set up this false this false dilemma of like oh I'm an Asian person I need to look like I have really clear skin. Uh, I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to K Town and buy all of the masks and 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 keep this up. How much do you know? How much work Asians are putting in to keeping their face looking that way? It's it, it, Asians don't raisin. Yeah, because they have massive amounts of chemicals and creams on their faces <laughs> at all times, and they avoid the sun like they're gonna die. Yeah, Asians are vampires. Is yeah. What you're so yeah, welcome to Southern Fried Asian, Raymond. Thank you. Do you feel Southern Fried? Well, what 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 makes it fried? I don't know. I just thought it was a fun name for a no. podcast. Yeah, I, and because we're going to talk about food ultimately at the end of this. Oh, that's that's true. That's true. Yeah. No. I, for context for the listeners, you know, I live in New York. I sound like Britta. <laughs> <laughs> you um, know, I can excuse the racism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I I I live in New York, and um, I I still feel like. I'm from Virginia. And I guess there's a separate question of like, you know, does Virginia count as part of the South? But yeah, I... I, really? I def- is that is that a question? Is it Does Virginia of all places count think, as the South? Well, I don't think I, anyone asks. I feel like Georgians, Al- Alabamans, they, 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 they seem to... They seem to... Th- and you know what? We're a per- we're, it's, Virginia's gone from purple to blue. You know. Oh, right. If your narrow definition of right. if it's your narrow definition of, of southern now. is yeah, it's not part of the south. It's mid Atlantic now. You know. Uh, yeah, that's bullshit. By the way, like you can't just erase the history of a Virginia being yeah, the fucking no, seat of I the was, Confederacy. I, they, they, <laughs> like two months ago or last month, there was that um, story about the. I think there were army officers who were at an IHOP. And there was like a lady who got into like a racial argument with the officers with the, with the like the lady was gonna buy them a meal and then she decided to not buy them the meal afterwards and it, it was this whole thing and like it made it made the like local interest story level and it's just funny to me because it was like oh I know where that IHOP is <laughs> I I eat it uh, our our parents eat that that IHOP all the time wait was it in like yeah. Chesapeake no it was it was it was on oh Route Northern 1. Virginia yeah it was. It was on Route oh. 1. On what was formerly Jefferson Davis Highway. <laughs> right. But I also understand the kind of reputation of Northern Virginia, quote unquote, not really being Virginia, right? Like, yeah. that whole bullshit about real Virginia versus non-real Virginia. It's all real. It's all Southern. But I think, to your point, is like it's kind of defining what it is to be Southern. Is it a geographical thing? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a... Right, and then when we say a cultural thing, is it like are we talking about white Southerners? Because you know, people of color have lived in the South for four hundred years. You so know? here, here's a question. Here's something I was thinking about. Are we? So we grew up. 
you more so than me, but I was born in, in Luray. You were born in Harrisonburg. I, okay. <laughs> they broke the mold after I was born. I, like, literally. In the Blue Ridge Mountains, in the Shenandoah <laughs> Valley, born and raised. <laughs> you were born in the Massanutten Mountains, because it's oh Harrisonburg. God. It's the other side. Anyway, go ahead. But we were in the mountains, right? Mm-hmm. So does that technically mean that we're hillbillies? Well, like... What if what, you're in the valley? Like, what we is were the, actually like, in the valley. We weren't diff- actually in the mountains. That's the, difference, that's the difference between a redneck and a hillbilly, right? Like, just just as a as a as a matter of defining terms, a redneck. You have a redneck because you worked out on the farms, and like that's why you have a redneck, right? And then, so so you're you're agrarian, and you're on the plains. But in the mountains, in the in the Blue Ridge Mountains, that would mean that you're a hillbilly, right? Yeah, I think the term we used was hick. Hick. We were hicks. True. We grew up around hicks. Even the terms like, yeah, rednecks and hillbillies were not we're not terms really, yeah, that we I, I feel Yeah, you're, that's true. So redneck, I probably didn't really start to hear redneck until... Like we moved out of like yeah. Luray, at least. Yeah. Because the thing is, and you know, those who have listened to this podcast have heard me tell the story have of... Have pieced Lee- together... Piece together the origins of Keith Chow. <laughs> oh, God. It's going to be an hour of this, isn't it? Hour and a half, buddy. Hour and a half. <laughs> this is going to be extended edition. All right. The, the Snyder yeah, Cut of I look Southern forward, I look forward to your edits. <laughs> you know what? Here's the thing. I ain't editing shit this time. It's, oh, I'm really? keeping in all of the ums. I'm keeping in all of the... You're keeping in all of my ums, but none of your ums. <laughs> I don't have ums. Oh, we don't um. Oh, God. I'm the non-umming Chow. No. Um. <laughs> see, there it goes. That one's getting cut. So I've told the story of leaving Luray, which is more rural, more, you know, traditionally, quote unquote, Southern, and moving to the Hampton Roads area, which was a little bit more urban, a little bit more diverse, a little bit more populated, and having that culture shock, right? You did that move much earlier than I did, and at a younger age. And you you have talked to me, not on this podcast, but you've talked to me, of course, as because we are brothers and related and have conversations, not... On record, <laughs> we're just going on record that we do talk, guys. I'm it's just putting health, it out there. It's a health, yeah. We're just letting you know it's a healthy fraternal relationship. You you've talked about how you don't even really remember living in Larray. Like that's a formative part of your life, but not really. Like I remember the green of the backyard, and mm-hmm. and and I remember it being vast. But it was vast because I was five years old. <laughs> Be- no, really. Like, uh, three years ago, two two or three years ago, we I, we, we went back to Luray to um, Bison to, mm-hmm. c- to go see Grandma and Grandpa's graves. And um, Browns was still, like, we were still able to go into Browns, which I guess your audience knows what Browns is. And we were able to go in there. And that was the first time that I had a very conscious feeling of how small browns was like it's a fairly for a chinese restaurant today it's a fairly good sized restaurant for a middle of nowhere chinese restaurant but like in my in my mind's eye because the my memories of browns is as a five to eight year old it's cavernous it it, Mm. like it could fit in my mind i imagine it fitting like 300 people easy (laughs) And like, right, like a really, banquet hall. Yeah, it's like a banquet hall. And like, really, it was like I don't know, 150, 200 max. Like, if, if, if every that. 
in every single space. And right. Like, if you count the two extra party rooms. Yeah, the wings and, and like, yeah. And, and, and But just like in my mind, because I saw it as a five-year-old, it's proportionally bigger in my head. And and I, I can't really square that circle. And And now that the space is no longer really accessible to us, it stays this kind of cavernous space. Uh, and I think that's also because, in my mind, I compare it to our parents' restaurant in Jade Garden, where, like, that's where I grew up. So that place going from, you know, being a child's eye space to, like, me as a teenager, I knew that it was small. Mm. You know, still, still of a certain generation of Chinese restaurant that kind of doesn't exist anymore. Right. Not takeout. It wasn't yeah, buffet. Yeah, a little, little larger, larger than just takeout, but not quite the, like, not quite a banquet hall style, right? Definitely have a certain generation of, of what American Chinese restaurants could be. I'm going to blow your mind. That trip to Brown's was seven years ago. That was seven years ago? Yeah, because Brown's has been gone since 2014. Oh, because that's when the last time, it, that was when it was... If you were if you're remembering walking through the restaurant, it, yeah. it was seven years ago. No. Yeah, <laughs> 2014 was the last time we were able to step foot at Brown's Chinese American Restaurant, the restaurant that brought our family to Lorraine. And actually, that's the one thing I wanted to talk with you about as well, because... Can I go on the record? I don't, I don't, because I don't think that uncle listens to this. I stole a bottle of Dewar's. <laughs> I don't think, even if yeah. he listens, yeah, which yeah, he yeah. doesn't. What's he, he going to do? What's he going to do? What's he going to do? do? Open a commission? <laughs> <laughs> even though this episode is titled The Chow Brothers, I actually wanted to talk about the Chu family, since we're talking about Luray, because they are the ones who came to that part of Virginia to open that restaurant. And I know you've done some probably more kind of scholarly digging into our family's history than I have. I mean, <laughs> no, not scholarly. Not sco- I haven't done any scholarly digging. What I will say is, like, I've talked about it with uh, with another friend that, like, it would be interesting to see if we could do a FOIA request about our granddad because we're pretty sure that there were theoretically there should be a file or there's possibly a file. So that would be interesting. <laughs> but everything else is just kind of like there's a lot of hearsay that we should be trying. To, we could try to put together to to kind of find out the whole narrative because because there's a lot there's a lot of missing gaps. So, I mean, like, so I was born in 84. Right. And great grandfather died. 82. Yeah. So I never knew him, and he's pretty pivotal from what I gather in terms of, like, why we're in Browns and, like, the whole kind of D.C. to Browns, the way that our family kind of branched between D.C. and and, and, and Page County was kind of a setup between him and, and Granddad. Like, there are there was something about kind of the way their particular immigrant story that set it up in this particular flow, right? And I don't know how much of it is true or how much of it is is kind of retconned after the fact that kind of <laughs> this is how how we're going to tell the story kind of thing. And you know, to be fair though, like that's the that's the case of so many like Chinese American immigrant 100%. stories, right? Like right. the the whole paper sun is a retcon of right. <laughs> your 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 life story. Yeah, I mean, I actually do have, you know, I mean, fading now that I'm getting older, but memories of great grandpa Bakung, we called him. But again, like I was five when he passed so i I don't the same to you he was this gigantic man even though he was much older 
who always wanted to shake my hand. And that's all I remembered uh, until he passed. But you're right. He is the, like the patriarch that brought the Chews to Virginia. He he had come to America like decades before everyone else, right? Because he, he actually, I remember seeing like he had a, you know, um, a certificate, I guess. Or, or some letter from President Reagan thanking him for his service during World War II, I believe. Uh, so he was like in America in the forties. I don't I, maybe in West Virginia, uh, possibly. So is wait no so we yeah so he came first to Wheeling, West Virginia, right? So our mother's side of the family follows the kind of typical Toysanese route, right? Of like. Of, of being journeymen, not not intending to stay and not really staying, right? So we have a great, great, great grandfather that was in like San Francisco around the time of the earthquake, right? And there's a missing bit of clarity there in terms of kind of what happened to him it, it, in, in terms of like why he never came back because he I think he never came back. But then like great grandfather, what what was interesting what was interesting to me to learn about learn about great grandfather after the fact was that he was a literate man like he could read in english and chinese which mm-hmm. maybe i shouldn't be quite so surprised but like in my mind it's just something that i had never really considered but like so here's the origin story that i as i understand it and you know any uncle that's listening to this podcast if they want to correct me please tell me what where i'm wrong but from what i understand bakong was in D.C. at the time, in D.C. Chinatown, when D.C. had a Chinatown. (laughs) And there was another guy who had heard about Browns and wanted to go look at it, but he wasn't very confident in his English, Mm. and he wasn't sure how to negotiate. So he talked to Bakong, who, like, hey, you know English, can you go, can you kind of be my middleman? And so Bakong went and he's like, and then he liked the place. So then he's like, you know what? I'll take, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a share too. And then like down the road would buy out the guy. So like in that, so for him to know English and like being able to, to be bilingual, like is the reason that we, you know, that our story goes that way at all. I, 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 feel like that's how mom told it to me but i i might be missing like a key detail here or there but like that's that's how we found like that's why like why browns how did we find browns it was somebody else found it and bakung was able to to talk to to be the negotiator right and just for you know like clarity for folks who aren't familiar with you know rural virginia Lorraine is about two hours hour and a half if you're if you're not if you're driving a little bit over the speed limit, I suppose, from Washington. So it's like southwest of D.C. And so, yeah, the the, the notion that, like, you know, you have this family living in, in Chinatown and seeing this, you know, traditional American restaurant go up for sale isn't right, far-fetched. Right, which is why right? the place is called Brown's. Right? right. The place is called Brown's because it was it was just kind of a regular diner, I guess. And then when when our Chinese asses took it over, we just kept the American name. And then like, uh, and I always love the. I guess I guess technically it's not a Chinese name, but like the Chinese characters that were on the side of the wall is American Chinese food. Like that's yeah. that's all it ever said. It's like oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. 
We we didn't give it like you know no. J Dragon number yeah. one or anything like that. Golden right? Harvest or even like how like even suburban Chinese restaurants run by Chinese folk have like the American name like China right. Palace or whatever. But then the Chinese name is like you know J Dragon or whatever. Yeah. Ours was just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chinese and American restaurant. And that was the subtitle. It was Brown's Chinese and American restaurant. Because we sold, right. we've sold like super hamburgers and spaghetti as much as we sold chicken chow mein and rainbow beef. I feel, that's what I mean. I feel like you have more of a historical context of our family and our family's place in Luray. Whereas for me, it was just kind of experiential. Like it's all nostalgia for me living in Luray. That's right. what. I, that's why I was sure. being like a little facetious about you've done the scholarly work, and whereas I've just like I just lived it, and I don't have the historical context, but uh, but it's fascinating to me, right? Because to your point, like our family's history very much mirrors so many early Chinese American immigrants, where we had generations who were American or came to America, lived in America, that we could trace back to the 19th century. And yet, you and I are the children of first-generation immigrants. Right, right. And, and, and that is such a particular kind of dynamic, I think, for, I think, I mean, definitely for me, and I would assume for you too, of kind of why and how we think about ourselves as Americans. I, I think a lot of times, a lot of times when you're a first-generation immigrant, you don't necessarily have, like, a ton of cousins that are going through the same thing as you. And we did, right? Mm-hmm. Or you know, you know, and and the for me, I don't know how much you've talked about this in the past, but like, I think it's very interesting that like, in some ways, the dynamic is the dynamic is very different for me for you because you grew up with our mom's side of the family, kind of more directly interacting with them, and then by the time that I was kind of of age to have more memory, like actually start making memories, I was spending more time with the Hong Kong side our dad's side of the family when they came to America. Who emigrated much later. So immigrated in the 90s. Yeah. Our dad's side of the family came pre-China takeover of Hong Kong, which was in the mid to late 90s. Whereas, as we said, you know, our mom's side, at least directly, like our generation above us, was here since the 70s. And there was it was definitely a different dynamic. To your point, like the cousins I grew up with were not only like Americanized first gender first born they were also mixed like all of my cousins that i grew up with were mixed like right your i mean there are cousins but the cousins you grew up with were not only immigrants themselves but they were like immigrants from hong kong so their their cultural touchstones were already chinese and i feel like that's also why you have i've always felt and you could correct me if i'm wrong but i've always felt you've had a closer connection to your chinese side than i did because of you know you grew up not being ashamed to like watch movies from well, Hong Kong. Well, let me let me reframe that. Let me reframe that a little bit. I, were you ever at one point ashamed of watching Hong Kong movies? I mean, I don't know that it was consciously ashamed, but I I actually said this on a recent podcast that like I had like a cultural superiority complex about being American, being about being American. So like when we would go visit our family in Hong Kong before they immigrated to America, you know, and I would hear like the Cantonese versions of American pop songs. Oh, sure. Even though I'm like an eight-year-old, like, snot-nosed It wasn't dork. the right version. Yeah. It was, a, it was a copy. It was an imitation. Sure, sure. Right. right. So, I, 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 I want to reframe it a little bit. It's not so much that I think that 
I'm more in touch with my Chinese side because you talk to any Chinese people, they're they're they will they will they will call me a banana in a heartbeat. Just yeah, but or what, empty bamboo. Yeah, but I think that there is a. I think the difference is uh, two things. One is that I also grew up in the late '90s, right? So I, the access was different. Yeah. Right. Like you had VCDs. I had VCDs of all of the of of like hundreds of Hong Kong movies, right? Like the abundance of what I had access to versus you. You had. Like three fearless movies. Fearless hyena. I had yeah. fearless hyena. That was the you only. Yeah, fearless hyena. And Enter the dragon. And yeah. da- and uh, and uh, dance of the drunken mantis. Maybe you did because dance of the drunken mantis. Dance of the drunken mantis didn't have the. It had the ending cut off, and it had. It was a cartoon with like a white. It was a Batman. No, there was like this like white ghost looking thing, and he'd like be chased by a cop. There was this like dumb eighties terrible art cartoon that would ki- that like. Got taped over the ending of Dance of the Drunken Mantis, and it always bothered me. Oh, well, then we, I think Dad did that for like all of his Jackie Chan movies, because my memories of Fearless Hyena at the back of that was uh, the old Batman cartoon. The Batman cartoon, yeah. With the one specifically with Sweet Tooth, <laughs> which was like Dom DeLuise or somebody, in a, <laughs> basically. But uh, the, 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 the villain is essentially like a fat guy who loves candy, and that's his like villain gimmick. Uh, and this was the the old school like Casey Kasem as Robin and Adam West as Batman, right? Cartoon, and that's my memory of Fearless Hyena is like just fast forwarding through it to get to Batman. <laughs> yeah, so I I mean so I think that like the abundance like definitely made a difference of like, sure. making me, me feel comfortable to it, and I think that that's a dynamic that Asian America has to contemplate in the future because now that we're in a you know Web three world where even if you are born in America, and you know, you're not quite as geographically disconnected. You're you're still geographically disconnected, but you're not as electronically kind of disconnected from the content, right? Like the the ability for K-pop and and K-drama to be accessible to you as a Korean American creates a just a different dynamic than what was what what it was like for us growing up as Chinese people, you know. Even like yes in yes in the south, but like you know outside of if you weren't in Chinatown and had access to you know a, a video store in Chinatown, you didn't have those things. Right. Right. Like our our parents think about that. Like at the time of our parents living in Virginia, what they would do is that they would go to Chinatown every couple of months, yes to buy groceries, yes to see friends and family, but also to switch out their rentals of movies and, and, and television shows. <laughs> right. right. Because like they, that was, that was the only way they were going to get any access to what was going on in, in, in China, in Hong Kong, really. Right. And I think that's the other, the other thing, you know, I mean, of course the, the time period made a difference, but also being in Hampton roads, there was more access to other Asians. You, you didn't have to drive two hours every couple months to go to the Asian store. Yeah, that's true. Right. Whereas, like for me, yeah, I didn't. I didn't grow up among. I didn't really grow up around Chinese culture. Like, like I said, our family on mom's side is much more westernized. Yeah, right? but I, but but what I'm saying is, I, I, I'm just. I want to be careful about the language here because I don't want it to suggest that that means that you're like that. There is this lesser Chinese experience, sure, right? Because yeah. because of what's important to suggest more so now than ever for lots of different reasons is that there are other ways of being Chinese. Absolutely access to language, absolutely continuity of the culture 
is important, but it's not the only factor in like saying what it means to be Chinese or exploring Chineseness. And that's the ultimate project of this podcast, right? Like exploring other ways of being Asian and, sure. and not kind of like pigeonholing yourself into like, this is the only way, like boba tea, Chinese language school, like those aren't the only ways to show your Chineseness or your Asianness, right? But that, but they often, because those are the Chinese and Asian stories we see, is the only way to express one's Asianness, right? Like, for me, it was the complete opposite. Like, I didn't have, not only did I not have access to that, it wasn't even a thought, right? Like, that went through our parents' minds to, to say Saturday school for you, you know? Because where the fuck were we going to go for Saturday school? Sure. <laughs> you know? Sure. So that's, I think, that's part of the, like... You know, and it's not just necessarily being in the South, but it's definitely being kind of, you know, I make the joke all the time. If you go to the Wikipedia of Luray and look at the demographics of like the 80s and it says 0.02% Asian, that's literally our entire family, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm being facetious there. I think there was one or two other Asian families in Luray, but generally, like, I mean, there were like 14 of us. <laughs> here's, here's, here's a question about your upbringing. Were you ever Christian curious? I did a Kinney Bible, which is when the this little van parks next to the elementary school. And then you have to sign a waiver, basically. Like, even in Luray in the 80s, they needed to get permission for kids to take Kinney Bible classes. Oh, I took that class. Yeah. With the little felt. With, with the, the felt, felt. With the, the little felt sticky felt. Yeah, the that felt was apostles. awesome. I love that. Because it was really cool. That they would tell, like, Bible stories with little felt characters that they stick on this board. And it was cool to get out of class. And it was cool to get out of class. And yeah. and to our parents' credit, you know, Dad was always like, I'm not going to not expose you to things, but I well, want you to... I mean, he went to... He went to... I mean, he went to a... He went to a... Well, he went to Christian school. Right, right. But he was... But our family wasn't Christian. Yeah. But no, but he was never going to be like... I mean, if there was a... If, if Larry allowed mosques or synagogues to come visit elementary kids dad probably would say sure but to your to answer your question i mean i memorized john 316 yeah i i know john 316 who doesn't know i john also know i also know austin 316 <laughs> <laughs> and that's the bottom line yeah. no but you know but but unfortunately we, we that means you lost an hour of computer time you, because the kid that I had one kid that didn't go. To oh is that what they, no we didn't have computer time oh well that's what in my in my time <laughs> I remember because I remember very clearly, like I'm sitting in this room watching, like learning about Jesus, and like you can see outside the van into our classroom, and there's a kid. And it's the kid, the one kid who didn't go. I I don't know what I don't know what his system was, but he's on the computer playing like a he's playing some computer game, and it's like I want to play the computer game. I don't want to do this. Wait, so you? I don't remember signing any papers. I was just went. Well, no, I mean, our parents signed the papers. We didn't sign well, the papers. Well, but I'm saying nobody asked me, hey, would you like to go <laughs> learn some Jesus stories with the felt? No, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's an envelope that went home at the beginning of the year and mom and dad just signed it. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, like mom and dad could have just, just signed whatever. But I just remember having a conversation with dad, maybe later in life, not when I was seven and going to Kenny Bible, but him saying <laughs> <Yeah>. that like... <laughs> father, father... <laughs> What shall we believe? <laughs> but I, you know, I recall him saying that, like, you know, I think you should you should learn all of it because, again, I remember like having to memorize John three sixteen and, and then kind of like reciting it in the kitchen. You know what I mean? And then maybe that's where he said that, like, 
you know, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you know, Jesus shit is crazy. Um, was, I think a paraphrase of what dad had said to me at seven, but did you go to school in Luray before, I guess you were, you yeah, were I mean, in I what, was, second I, grade I, when I, you moved? I, I, yeah, I left, I left third grade. Third grade. Oh, okay. Cause I remember starting third grade there and then I moved to Chesapeake or I moved to Ham. We moved to Hampton, Hampton. We moved to Hampton yeah. for six months. And then from Hampton, I went to Chesapeake. Right. And just so, so you guys know why we're talking like this at that point mom and dad decided to branch out on their own open their own restaurant so they found one eventually in chesapeake virginia which is in the hampton roads virginia beach part of the state four hours away four hours away from loray and so i was just starting 10th grade and they made the decision that because i was already in high school it would be better for me to at least finish 10th grade so i moved in with my grandmother and then they took Raymond and moved to Hampton and ultimately moved to Chesapeake. And that's why we're talking as if, like, we didn't live together they, for they made a year. You didn't want to stay? <laughs> yeah, why are you framing it that way? What the hell is that? Fine. I didn't want they, to go. They made the decision. They they weighed the cost. They did a cost-benefit analysis, taking into account my feelings. And they said, no, but we think it's best you should stay. No, you wanted to stay, right? Sure. Am I? Yes. Am I uh, look, no, no, I, I did. I did. I wasn't yeah. there for the conversations. So <laughs> if, if, just tell me if I'm wrong. But no, I wanted to stay. I yeah, didn't you wanted want to, to go. Stay. And and okay. truth be told, my entire eleventh grade year, I was a walking gothy pain in the ass because I didn't like the fact that I moved. But you know, it all worked out. <laughs> so I want to dig back into like just some more of your like Larray memories before we go into like your memories of Chesapeake. But do you think at like that last year or so in Luray, like, you know, you're old enough to have memories. I know that you said they're kind of like faint and you were a child, sure. but like, what is your lasting memory of Luray? And do you still feel like Luray is home or is like, when you think of home, you think 757? I'm not, I'm, I'm not avoiding your question, but I, I guess I'm trying to reframe it to be a little bit closer to how I feel about it. Luray doesn't feel like home, but it does I do feel an ownership of it, mm-hmm. even if, even though I have very little to do with it and I have no say in any, I should, I don't feel I have any right to like say what should go on in Luray. Like I have no desire to try and turn Luray into like a democratic enclave or something, right? Like <laughs> it's, it, it's just, it's kind of the place that it is, but I do feel a sense of ownership to it because I have a right to that place because that's where my grandparents are, mm-hmm. right? Because it's such a part, it's a part of where our family is and you know, who knows? Maybe that becomes the place where we all, like, start leaving ourselves 30 years from now. And we have family there still. Like, yeah. We still have family there, right? So, like, I don't... It's not home in that sense, but, like, it's certainly a place that I feel like I have a, a right to. But let me compare that to... I also feel that way about Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel about Luray something similar to how i feel about hong kong as a place that i did not grow up in but again a place where i've got my my grandfather buried or in turn in a mausoleum guess, yeah in a, in a mausoleum right and like so so to the degree that like i think about what happens in hong kong and i think about what happens in the ray and like what it means for me to be able to access these spaces because i should have access to these spaces and so chesapeake then I feel like, I mean, when you, just in the kind of esoteric terms, but like Chesapeake is probably your real sense of like, that's where I grew up. I'm from eight to 
20 whatever yeah and i mean and i still have a lot of friends there you know i still go back there every couple of years at this point and you know i'm happy to see everybody that i still know down there but on some level the place has moved on and i've moved on a little bit right like Mm. jade garden isn't there anymore we we don't have any family there right so like when i go down there it really is for the kind of the nostalgia and you know I do it for the, like the nostalgia of like my college years, the nostalgia of like oh, that's the places I would go to in high school, right? But like, but it's transient, like. But it's transient. Ultimately. I don't. I don't feel like I feel at home when I'm like seeing my friends there, but like I don't feel any attachment to like a specific location anymore because like the one place that I would have that attachment, like all of the house, the the houses, the various houses that we lived in over the you know through the course of living in Chesapeake, like you know, I it's not like we can go back to those places, so. There is no sense of continuity there. Jade Garden is, I think it's still a Chinese restaurant right now. Mm. It might be Thai, actually. Oh, really? But <laughs> I, I think it's like Pan-Asian. Mm. But like, it's, you know, the 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 it's not set up the way that right. it was when we were and, and to be honest, but, that changed even when it was still in our family. But that's another wh- story. When I was, <laughs> so for, for the audience, yeah, I, I say this at like job interviews and... I, I, I use this as a dumb line, but I always go like, you know how you go to a you go to a Chinese restaurant and there's like that little kid in the corner doing his homework and, and then he like takes your order. Yeah, that was me growing up. And like I say, I say that in interviews all the time. And like, I'm just saying this to you because like for the context of like, you know, the closet, there was a closet next to the cash register that like I spent. That you grew up in. That was home. 20%. Yeah. I spent, tw- I spent about 40% of my childhood in a closet. <laughs> And that's how I grew up. I, I working and living in a closet, <laughs> watching TV on a six inch screen. <laughs> but like I spent all, you know, and like for that closet to not be there is like, well, this isn't my, this isn't my restaurant anymore. Right, right, right. It's still wild that you didn't take the peacock with you. <laughs> I mean, it was a sticker. You couldn't take that. You could take the wall. They tore the wall down. What? What? Are we, what the thing was like <laughs> was my entire body was weight. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> what am I going to do with a wall? You know what I did take? I did take the styrofoam characters mm-hmm. of the restaurant. You still game. have that? Uh the the jade broke. Oh, that seems, so, seems like a metaphor. Yeah. So it's wild that the first time you watched Deep Space Nine on a widescreen television must have like blown your mind. Because you're, you had only seen it yeah. on six inches. Is that? Are we talking about these phase nine? No, now? we're not going to get much in- more, <laughs> much more comfortably. Can I? Can we have a much more comfortable conversation about these phase nine rather than mining mining my childhood? We can talk about Star Trek when you come on Hard Knock Life. For this, this is therapy. We're going to talk about our childhoods here. So going back to that notion of like home, it's really fascinating for you to say that actually because I didn't know that about you. Because I felt I feel the same way, right? Like there is. A part of me that will always feel like Hampton Roads is home if I see people I know. If I drive by the place that used to be Regal, I guess is Regal still there? I don't know. But when it was, you know, like, like when, when I had Funscape, yeah. Yeah, 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 like yeah, that's still a movie theater. Like, I, I but think. that's what I'm saying. Like that, I remember as like nostalgic and like homey. And you know, of course, you know, I met my wife there. I went to college. To you, it's the same thing. It's like it's our college life for a lot of people. You know, your college memories is not home, but it's where I went to college, right? I kind of think about, like, in, you know, when I interact with some of my Oscar Smith high school friends, it's like, yeah, but it, but there's not that sense of, like, I'm from here. You know? Like, 
as an example, if I meet someone and I see they have a 757 phone number, like, oh, yeah, there's a familiarity and a recognition. But when I think of, like, where am I from, it's still always going to be Lorraine. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, right. And I, I, so I would say that, like, I don't feel that way about Lorraine. I don't feel, I would never, I don't think I would say I'm from Lorraine. I do say that, like, oh, I was born in Lorraine. Like, even though you weren't. So, so I have a lot of friends, I have a lot of friends, right, who grew up in Virginia Beach, and they will not allow me to say that I grew up in Virginia Beach because I grew up in Chesapeake. Which right. is which is what Fair. I want to say is that I grew up in Chesapeake, but but no, no one knows where listen, Chesapeake no, is. Listen, exactly. <laughs> Nobody knows where Chesapeake is. Like a bay? You grew up in the bay? They they think you're from Maryland if you say yeah, that. Yeah. So someone asks you where did you grow up, and I I have on occasion, not out of shame of Chesapeake, but just out of ease of I just just moving past this part of the conversation, I have said <laughs> Virginia Beach because you can't say you can't say. Hampton Roads. Right. Sometimes people don't no, know no, what no, Hampton fuck that Roads is either. Is. Right. Tidewater. No one knows what so that is. So I say Virginia Beach, yeah. where people have gone because they're tourists and they have toured Virginia Beach. <laughs> and then like I and then I I happened to do that in the presence of someone who was from Virginia Beach and knew <laughs> that I grew up in Chesapeake, and they gave me a fuck ton of shit about it. <laughs> and I have no desire to say that I'm from Virginia Beach. It's just. It was just easier in the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, I do feel that, like, no, Chesapeake, Hampton Roads, that's where I grew up. And, like, that's... If you're asking me, like, where do you think of your childhood? Yeah, I think of Chesapeake. Your formative years. Yeah. Like, I have the memory of, like, walking back and forth from the restaurant to the house. Right. Cause, and then for the listeners, our house was right behind the restaurant. <laughs> it was seven <laughs> blocks away. You had to cross the highway. <laughs> there were rabid dogs in the fields. There were snakes. There actually were snakes in that little <laughs> patch of uh, dirt in between. But but it's still, you still say, though, like, that time, even though you spent from, like, 8 to 20-whatever, you still feel like that's the transient part. I know you you just said that you don't feel like you're from Lorraine either, but there's still a part. I mean, the thing for me is that I kind of claim the entire state, even though... <laughs> Even though you avoid Richmond like the plague. No, I don't avoid And how many times have you been to Roanoke in your well, life? Well, I was about to say, except for, like, the western part. I've, I've, I don't yeah. think I've ever stepped foot in, like, the boot part of Virginia, right? Like, Roanoke and Blacksburg and that side of the state. But, like, you know, I, I have connection to Northern Virginia, you know, Page County, the Shenandoah Valley, Richmond... And the, the peninsula, even. And, you know, of course, Virginia Beach. So... Like, I feel like I, I have, like, a affinity, at least, for the for most of the state. Sure. So that's that's easy for me to say. But, but yeah, w- w- to break down, like, which part of the state really, truly... Like, when I again, when I think of where am I from, it's always going to be right. Lorraine. Even though, again, I had so many formative years, you know, the latter part of high school, my entire college career, all in the right, Norfolk, but Virginia imp- Beach well, area. But, I, I mean, I think, but I think that answers the question is, the question you're asking is not where do you think home is, it's where is your childhood? Mm-hmm. And right, the right. Ray is your childhood, yeah. right? By the time you moved, by the time you moved to Hampton Roads, you thought you knew who you were. Right. Right? Which is why you coming to Chesapeake, oh, I, I hate that I'm not in the place where I knew who I was. I finally figured out who I am and now I gotta... Yeah somebody else well, again that's exactly right? how i sounded that's, that's what you were going through was was the sense you had an identity crisis that was tied to who you were as a child at the end of your childhood mm-hmm. 
and 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 into your you know post adolescence the 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 timing of the moving like uh, was a uh, was right at the time to like affect how you thought of yourself right right that's because right. because and and fairly because like yeah it is a lot of fucking work to like make friends all over again and like right especially when you're at ten, with 10th grade so you're what 16 15 15 yeah 15 so you know you got your hormones running and you know it's it's just it's it's it is a lot of pro- lots of process as a teenager and if on top of that we're going to layer in you know uh, the the racial identity politics that we've touched on earlier yeah that 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 will factor into it too in unseen ways of a sense of of i don't want to say inferiority but like you know having a complex about like there aren't a lot of other Chinese people, so feeling isolated. But it was also, it was actually the opposite though, right? Because like for me, I remember that first year in high school in Chesapeake was a culture shock because it was so diverse. Sure. There were sure. so many other people of color that I wasn't used to like being around that many people of color and being isolated from other people of color. Because the other thing about being in Lorray, because we were the only Asians... And there was a very small black population. You, you kind of almost felt a sense of solidarity because everyone else was white. And, he, and you know, and it's funny, though, like looking back. Yeah, of course, there were hella microaggressions everywhere. Right. But like the the idea that like, you know, even the fresh off the boat scene, like the the smelly noodles at lunch, like no one had that. In Larray growing up, right? Like, even though we well, were around... because they were eating squirrel. What, what the fuck do they <laughs> Yeah, know? right. That's what happens when you grow up with Hicks. It, it's yeah. it's different than growing up in Orlando or whatnot. Right? Yeah, it's like that scene It's like that scene in Martial Law, the Sammo Hung show, where it's, um, <laughs> like, Arsenio Hall, or, or, or the gentleman before Arsenio Hall, he's eating collard greens, right. and Sammo Hung is like, oh, collard greens, we love these. Like, we, yeah. we love these. It's like, yeah. Come on, guys. We're all eating the same vegetables. Let's 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 get along. You know, Courtney and I literally had that conversation when we were 13 years old, right? So, but that's what I'm saying. Like going from Lorray to Chesapeake and and being in a in a, an environment where like there were other black people who didn't like you, right? Automatically, right? There were other Asian people who didn't like you automatically. That was the learning curve for me, right? It was like, oh, like, you know, there was never that like head nod moment at Oscar Smith that first year, at least, you know. And it took a while. It took Getting to know folks, like you said, you know, having to like prove who you are all over again was was tough, and 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 again, just being around other groups of color without kind of like that that automatic sense of familiarity that you had when you were in Larray, right? Well, that right. That, I mean, that's another part of it too, right? Is that Larray's high school the the total class of Larray's high school was probably like one class. Like, all four classes of, of the Rays High School was probably, like, one class of Oscar Smith. Right. Right, right, right. The cafeteria alone yeah. in Oscar Smith could fit the entire student body of Larray High School the year I left, 1993. Yeah. And and I don't know if there are, like, really annoying sticklers in, on your podcast. And, like, maybe we're off a little bit in numbers, but... You know, we're, 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 being, we're being a little fast and loose with numbers, but it, would def- it was definitely bigger. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, and I guess that's the other kind of, like, difference between me and you is, you know, to your point, like, having that childhood very, you know, specific to a place that isn't ultimately very diverse, right? So, like, my view of the world was fairly limited. Like, if not for MTV, I probably would have an even narrower view of the world, right? 
in Luray because this this was the 80s. All we had was cable TV and there was no internet. There was no like outside world like you were saying. At least you had a connection to like Chinese pop culture through video CDs and, you know, the early, early age of the internet, you know. That's another thing that I think is 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 kind of like informs the way I see myself as an Asian American. Because like what you were asking me earlier, like, was I ever ashamed? I don't know if it was shame is the word, but there was definitely like a disconnect about even being considered Asian until I got to college, right? Like until I was actually around other Asian people I wasn't related to. And you had a different experience because you had Asian American friends in elementary school and high school. Uh, I mean, I didn't really have, I guess to go back a little bit in terms of kind of the path of my exploration of my Chinese-ness for just a very easy shorthand of what we're talking about, right? Like in high school, I had a friend who spoke Cantonese, right? And if I look back at that time and I look back on my life, that was really important because it was somebody in my age group, it was somebody in my social group who I could talk about these things, right? Because you can watch all the Stephen Chow movies in the world, but if you don't have anyone to talk to about them and be excited about them, because like our cousins, they'd seen these movies and they understood the references, so they got it. They didn't have to, they processed it differently because it was a comedy movie for them. But for me, a Stephen Chow movie is a cultural artifact. It's something to explore because as the more I unpack it, the more I understand about like what was happening in Hong Kong at the time, albeit through a comedy lens, but it was giving me some sort of access to some sort of storytelling that like my excitement about like, oh, that's what this means was never in our family like a big deal. Like mom and dad would explain things, but they would, but it would always be with kind of like a, yeah, you don't know what this means. What, what are you stupid? Not, they never said, what are you stupid? But, you know, just like, no, of course that's what that is. What are you, why are you asking? Not to diminish Stephen Chow, but it was very similar to as if, you know, one of our Chinese cousins came to America and couldn't speak English, but like glommed on to like Adam Sandler as his sure. <laughs> entry point into American culture. Not right. to say that Adam Sandler no, no, no. is equivalent right. to Stephen Chow. But, but that you had, but that there was, Stephen Chow is for me this, this touchstone into kind of a certain a certain perspective of Chinese culture. I have, I hope, expanded my worldview and expanded kind of different avenues of exploring, exploring, quote unquote, this thing called Chinese culture. But like, as a 13-year-old watching a slapstick comedy that as I have gotten older and as, as my Cantonese has slightly improved over the last 20 years, you know, I understand a little bit better. So like, Every once in a while, I'll watch an old movie that I've seen a million times, and there will still be a joke that, like, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> oh, I, I get it now. And 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 that that is so important in comedy of, like, getting the joke. Right. So for me, the getting the joke is, yes, it's it's funny. Yes, it's it's but it's also, like, knowledge gaining for me because it's it's something that I was starved of, right? And And then to bring it back to what I was saying... Then to have a friend who I could then talk about those things with and like being able to process those things with was really important to, I think, encouraging that. If, if I probably hadn't met him in, that was my sophomore year. Yeah, that was a sophomore year that we met, right? 
if if I hadn't met him and and we had that I had that someone to speak Cantonese with, however poorly, but his was bad too, right? And to process watching movies and watch movies together, however much we didn't understand something, or we could like share our interpretations of jokes or share our interpretations of language, like if I didn't have someone to kind of bounce that off with at that time, I probably would have given up on it and become a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think it helped that you had Chinese speaking cousins? Because I I feel uh, like you sure no I, I I yeah absolutely but but I I I think that they were still a few years older than me right. like they were kind of they're right in between me and you right 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 and, and that so, was an like, interesting dynamic because they did kind of look up to me for like American like teach me basketball let's talk about right. the NBA sure and that that's how we're gonna connect right. And then I wanted to I wanted to watch them play Super Nintendo. Right. <laughs> the Famicom, like, I think they tell even me, had, right? Tell me. Well, no, he actually he had no, actually he had an, an American Super Nintendo because if you got the Famicom, you couldn't play American games. Oh, but right. the, the the American system could play Japanese games. Right. Yeah, no, I mean obviously that helped. And like again, that but that goes into like just the general access of all of the stuff and they like Oh, here's all these things. Here's all the things. Right. Like, I remember seventh grade, so I'm 12, and this is 96. Six. Like, Hello Kitty was, like, starting to pop up in America, or at least around us in, in, in Hampton Roads. And, like, and I don't know, like, is that, I don't know if Hello Kitty was around already in Hampton Roads in the, in the mid-90s, or... Like, it was starting to just kind of... Hello Kitty was starting to permeate into American culture at the time. But, like, little Asian girls that I had crushes on at the time were starting to carry around Hello Kitty things. But there was this part of my brain where when we went to Hong Kong in 91, you know, like, that's the first time I saw Hello Kitty. And so it's like, oh, I'm so cosmopolitan. I already know what Hello Kitty is. (laughs) And I felt that way about like Power Rangers. Like, right. like, why would anyone watch the Power Rangers? I already watched that a long time ago. <laughs> you know, the two times I watched it on television in Hong Kong. On the airplane or whatever. On the airplane or whatever, right? But just like, you know, and I think that that, that is probably the little, the, the, the small town kid who goes to the big city of Hong Kong, not processing anything. <laughs> and then like uh, some bright visuals like a Hello Kitty or a Power Rangers is like, the things that I can carry with me. So I feel so cool because I know what those but are. But that's the other, I think, really the difference between me and you. Because when you were seven and you went to Hong Kong, that you kind of absorbed that. When I was seven or eight and went to Hong Kong the, the previous time, when you were still a baby, I was the opposite. Like I said, like I would turn my nose at the Andy Lau singing a Janet Jackson song. I would, you know, instead of like admiring the Japanese and Chinese toys in the Toys R Us, I had everyone buy me fucking He-Man toys, right? Like, that's where the, I think, and maybe because I, you know, you talk about small town kid in a big city. I was like the ugly American small town kid where it was just like, just let me go to McDonald's and buy He-Man toys. So let's unwind that. Let's unpack that a little bit more then. This is what, 80, this is, this is probably 83, 86, 83. You weren't born yet, Raymond. Remember, you were no, born but wasn't there a trip that you went to before you went, you went before I was born. Yeah. Right? I was a baby when that happened. You were a baby. Yeah. Oh, you were a baby then. Yeah. Okay. So you went when you were like eight. Yeah. 86. Nine. Right. Yep. Okay. So then at the time when mom and dad said, Hey, we're going to Hong Kong. Like, what did you feel then? Do you remember? Like, 
like put aside how you felt by the time you got there because the anxiety of like international travel the anxiety of being in a land that you don't understand what everyone's saying but like do you would you remember being excited when you were a kid at the prospect of going yeah yeah home? yeah no I, i'm trying to remember if we, when we went like up to that point dc would have been the biggest city you had ever been to yeah that's right, right. that's right yeah i mean third grade i feel <laughs> like you went from dc like you went from Luray to dc chinatown to hong kong yeah <laughs> a bigger biggest chinatown you could find the thing I was most excited about was missing school because I feel like we went in like January, February. Oh yeah, probably. Oh yeah, no, it was January, right, right? Because that's we had a layover in Chicago, and that's why I'm a Chicago sports fan to this day because it was right after the Super Bowl or right before the Super Bowl. So yeah, it was in January, February we went. So the thing I was excited about—I don't about, understand that. I don't understand. <laughs> I went to the airport, therefore this is, this is my town. These are my teams. This is my kind of town. <laughs> the hell no yeah it was it was 86 the january of 86 we went to hong kong and i was excited i was excited because i remember it very clearly the thing i was excited about was missing school because <laughs> we were gonna we we're gone for like a month and so i knew i was gonna be out of school for a month I was like, oh that's fun and i remember like i enjoyed the travel like i said the o'hare airport made such an impression on me clearly that- <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I claim Chicago as my own, even though I've only been to that city like four times in my life. Yeah, you just liked it because Michael Jordan was good. Well, that's Whatever. well, yeah. I mean, '86 that was his ascension, and and the Bears, like those things, I are burned in my memory as a child, and then I've just retained them. Like everything else in my life, I retained the things that I liked when I was eight. And and I remember the layover in Narita because that was we had two layovers. We laid over in O'Hare and we laid over in Narita before we got to Hong Kong. And the the time spent in Narita was really like mind blowing for me to see like all of the like cool toys and stuff like, but they were like Transformers but with Japanese writing, and that blew my mind because I love Transformers, and these are like the I I knew like inherently that these were the original like that didn't I wasn't turning my nose at that but <laughs> I also remember in the in the Narita airport like there was a cartoon playing on a screen and then. Like, you saw boobs, and I was, like, <laughs> scarred for life. Oh, sure. Like, you can see boobs in cartoons? What is going on? But for some reason, once we got to Hong Kong, I do remember just kind of, like, I'm only eating McDonald's and buying American toys at Toys R Us. I Like, Mom and Dad tell the story to this day about we went to Dad's best friend's house, and his wife had prepared, like, this feast of American food. For me specifically, and either I fell asleep because I was so jet lagged, or I just refused to eat because I'm an asshole. It, it, it has the second one's the only one that's like a story. The first one's forgivable. The second one, <laughs> yeah. The second one is like you need to feel guilty about that for the rest of your life. <laughs> Maybe it was somewhere in between. Because you know, because you know. If the thing happened to you now, you would hate that kid so much. Oh, you for sure. If my kid did that, yeah. That's what that's what I'm saying. Like if you, if you if you if you were embarrassed, you 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 should be you should you should feel a little It bit could be somewhere in between. Like maybe I was grumpy cuz I was jet lagged yeah. and then fell no, asleep, sure. you know. Right. But yeah, so that 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 trip I remember again just kind of Did you go back to Toysan on that trip? No. That was the next one. That was just Hong Kong. Yeah, that was just a Hong Kong trip. The next one in 90 when we went. That was the only time I'd ever been to China. Mm. I haven't been back since. I mean, maybe... Did we go to Shenzhen in 92? 
Maybe. Maybe just like... Oh, I don't know. Maybe we just dipped over and came back. But 9091 is when we went and visited Mom's village with Grandpa Gong Gong. I remember that pretty vividly. I don't have any actual memories. Like, I've seen photos, and I know I was there, but I don't have any you actual were, memories. But you were old enough. You were, like, seven. Yeah, but, I mean, it just... None of it stuck. Like, I mean, that's mm. what I'm saying. Like, it's blurred into... It's blurred into the picture. You had your so, own like, imaginary talk show at the time. That was... But that wasn't... That wasn't... The, that wasn't during the trip where we went to Toy Oh, was that... that was oh, the, was that 92? Maybe that was 92. Yeah, that was the year later. Yeah. Raymond Kills. Yeah. That was your... That's what it was called. Raymond... <laughs> Yeah, oh, okay. you would <laughs> you would occasionally like look to the side. Yeah, no, I like, did you would that, do like I the Zach Morris. A, no, I did that for a few months later. Like I was still doing that, just no one was paying attention. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah. On this episode of Raymond Kills, I wonder if that's a phenomenon for kids my age. Well, right, because you guys that we were... thought that we were that we were being meta as like <laughs> seven year olds talking to a fictional audience, right? Doing the aside, because you know what? Now that you're saying, it's like I don't know. When I was seven, did I know that there was no audience, well, or right. like did I think there was an audience? I actually don't know, <laughs> like what was going through my head. I know that I did that, but I don't know what I was thinking. That's kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, before we wrap. You know, we, oh, are we done? Are we done now? I mean, we've gone over an hour already. Because this next bit is about food, and I, I'm pretty sure it's probably going to go for for some time. But you know, we've talked about how much like the Chinese American restaurant is formative to both of our childhoods, right? Like, even though you have less memory of Browns, that place is still in the firmament of your personhood, and then you spent. Your entire childhood, as you said, in a closet, working the cash register at eight years old or whatever. Yeah, when you were in Browns, I mean, how much work were you doing? At I Browns? washed dishes and I bust tables. I never handled the register. So you weren't front of house. You were never. I doing was never front, front of house. Of house. Although that I would run around the restaurant yeah, that, as a kid. Not front of house. But I, yeah, I never was like interfaced with customers. Yeah, like the the, the only time I actually interfaced with customers again, this is a story I've told on this podcast, is. I believe, when did Return of the Jedi come out? 83. 83. My sixth birthday, I got the Ewok Village. And I had a birthday party in the party. You put it on the table. At Brown's. No, I sat it. You know, the box was huge. The box was the size of me, basically. And I sat, and I don't know if you remember the geography of the restaurant, but like the front door, if you turn to the right, is the party room. And then right immediately is the cash register. So I sat the Ewok Village box, like, in the entrance to the party room and just sat on it as customers filed in and out of the restaurant, just telling them about the Ewok village. <laughs> How old were you? This is so my sixth birthday. It was, the, so six. oh. it was before you were born. You're before you were born. Yeah. So that that's the only time I actually interfaced with, with customers. But I, but you know, when I got a little bit older, they had me wash dishes and, and, you know, thinking back, like I remember, I think that's when I first realized I had a shrimp allergy because I would like, handle all the food like wiping it off the plates and sticking them in the dishwasher and then you know i'm like 10 years old i don't know anything and i'd like wipe my eyes <laughs> maybe it wasn't oh. just shrimp right like literally all of the germs yeah it was yeah <laughs> but i just remember a, a few times just getting like my throat kind of closing and 
And like, you know, back then mom didn't give a shit. She was like, you're fine. (laughs) They didn't believe I was allergic to shrimp until I was like 21 years old. But yeah, I never worked front of house. Why? Well, I mean, like for me, I was like, because I was cash. I was running the cash register from like eight. Right. Right. I I, I should clarify to the audience. I was only doing this on the weekends. I, I wasn't coming home straight from like I was at home a lot of the time. But like every weekend for like 10 years was at the restaurant and i was doing the cash register and then i was waiting on tables like pretty early teenage years and then i was washing dishes and it's i i I was bringing it up because i do think that like on some level i don't know how true this is maybe maybe this is just me coming up with excuses but like on some level i feel like my time as a front of house person as a child it like affected my ability to socially interact with people <laughs> without trying to convince them to order the steak cube <laughs> to, to buy to, to order beef and broccoli no like you know like because to be a good waiter is to be visible and invisible at the same time mm-hmm. and like knowing when to do those things and i never really stopped doing that <laughs> i never really stopped like uh i think i'm gonna be invisible now <laughs> or 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 should i be visible and... just get this girl water for now yeah and yeah, come back yeah, exactly i just gonna make sure that she's got everything that she needs and then i'm gonna leave <laughs> and just hope for a tip later that's 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 pretty much how i've interacted with people ever since yeah oh that's a that's interesting because by that time right at browns i was because i was never i never actually worked at browns but i spent my life there because unlike you you know i wasn't a latchkey kid until much later those first, because you were, I mean, that's the thing. You were like illegally a latchkey kid because mom and dad were leaving you home alone at like nine years old. Well, I mean, but like after school, like, I mean, I was going to school. It's not like I was like stuck in the. <laughs> no, but I like I, I spent my childhood literally at the restaurant until yeah. I was at least 13 because, and you know, I think after you were born and then you were no longer at Mama's house, that you and I were home alone. But that was like, you know. Only probably a couple years before you guys moved. Sure. So, but for, for a good portion of my, like, childhood, I just stayed in the office. Like, our cousin talks all the time about how he didn't stay as often as I did. I was literally there five days a week. He would come, like, maybe two or three days a week, and we would, like, play in the office. I had all, I'd have to, like... Was there a TV in there? There was a TV. Yeah, I watched, uh, and then, and then like, when 7 o'clock rolled, I used to resent grandma and great-grandma, because when 7 o'clock rolled around... They came in to watch Wheel of Fortune, and I used to just, like, curse them under my breath, like, why are you watching Wheel of Fortune? You can't even speak English, right? Because they were taking away my TV time. Even though my TV time was literally from 3 o'clock until 7 (laughs) o'clock. Also, and what are you watching at 7 o'clock? Like, what what, what would have been on at 7 o'clock? Oh, I don't know. Given any given day, I'm sure I was watching, like, Three's Company reruns or Uh. something like that. Yeah, I was I was all about eighties, the eighties and seventies, eighties television. Like, why watch Welcome Back, Cotter and Brady Bunch and stuff growing up? Anyway, so but I but I was at the restaurant, and you know, I just remember like also access to all that food was probably not healthy because at one point I was able to just grab like a handful of sweet and sour pork and dump it in the fryer myself. You know what I mean? Anyway, so the reason I bring it up is that. The thing I want to ask you, usually on this podcast, I always ended asking the people about the food they grew up with, blah, 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 blah. But with but you, you know what I grew up with. I knew with, what you so. grew up with, so it'd be dumb to ask, and the, the folks at home don't need to listen to that. Because you'll just say, like, you know, boiled chicken, roast pork, yeah. and lettuce, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so, but the thing I want to talk to you about is is the notion of Chinese American food. You know, this is my big bugaboo. Is that I feel that oftentimes other Asian Americans don't respect Chinese American food. You know, this I I know your opinion, but this is what I want the audience to listen to. What is your opinion of Chinese American food? I mean. I have a lot of affection for it because I think it's really good. Like, <laughs> there's no reason that General So's chicken shouldn't be as celebrated as a Popeye's fried chicken sandwich, right? Like, we we just take it for granted that there is this food out there that everybody eats. Everybody eats. Like, regardless of whatever religious affiliation. Like, if it's not your holiday coming up, you can go to a Chinese restaurant <laughs> and, and eat even though everything's closed. And, like... Here's the thing is when there is this attack that American Chinese food is not authentic. I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know what it means that it's not authentic. But on the other hand, I do know what they mean when they say it's not authentic. And because our parents and most of our uncles would pretty readily say that it's not, quote unquote, real Chinese food. Right. And if they mean by like, yes, when they were growing up in Hong Kong or when they were growing up in the, in the mainland or wherever... They weren't eating this exact stuff. They weren't eating American broccoli with beef right. in a soy sauce thing, right? But, but if it's not authentic because like Chinese people weren't eating it at the time, it was still, it's still an important part of American Chinese history as a survival tactic, right? right? And like the fact that it's something that people like and, and we, but we carry this kind of resentment and or shame about it, like not to not want to be associated with it. It's like it's one of the one successful things we have. <laughs> it's General So and Bruce Lee. Let's just take these and use them and embrace them for you know for for being what they are. And like I, I get it that like you know if you grew up eating traditional Cantonese style food because you were in Chinatown, right? Right. That you know. Oh, actually, a somewhat related story. So I had dim sum last weekend, and I ordered a big plate of what in English would be described as Cantonese-style chicken chow mein. Mm-hmm. The menu, the menu here had it as pan-fried chicken chicken noodles. Right, right. right. I was with uh, I was with Brooklyn born and raised Chinese people, and I had told them beforehand I'm going to order chicken chow mein and they and they went haha you 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 fucking american right like they they were just like dog because in their mind what they thought i was ordering was the The pre-packaged noodles the pre-packaged the the package of noodle in the in the in the cellophane wrap and you know the the cube of of chop suey mixed vegetables that you then pour on top of it and not the cantonese stuff because that person that friend didn't understand chicken chow mein translates to like pan fried noodle like that those were the same dish like i was ordering the the cantonese one not the american one but like the words were the same and and there is something about that kind of like lost in translation Mm -hmm. that erases kind of the the experiences that we were growing up on right right and and I could understand like someone ma- kids in our situation also resenting this stuff, 
right? Because it's painful because it reminds you of the other time you had to work at the restaurant and not go to the prom and not or go to right? yeah and not go out not go hang out and have a normal normal quote unquote normal childhood where I guess you just like ride bikes onto the freeway or something. I don't like I, yeah. I I freely admit I don't know what normal kids were doing because I was I was I was washing dishes and 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 waiting on tables right like. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> they were just having sex and yeah, drinking yeah, beer. Having, having unprotected sex and following Jesus. I, I guess that's what happens <laughs> when you go out there. Yeah, especially in Chesapeake. That's <laughs> like, yeah. you know, Christian Coalition headquarters and everything. We were next We were next to C- Literally. CBS no, yeah, literally. Like, we used to yeah. deliver them chicken chow mein yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. Right to Pat Roberts. We would just give them the chicken chow mein. American, American Chinese food is something that will never go away because Americans are always going to eat it. And American, like, we're, it, it is so um, embedded in, in American culture. Now... I probably there is a lot to unpack about what it means that it's embedded. It's embedded and not understood, right? There is a common there is a common sensibility to it that probably is missing a few important links in the historical chain. So what I don't understand too about like Asian American disdain for Chinese American food is that to me Chinese American food is the ultimate expression of Asian American identity, right? Well, cuz like cuz those same Asian Americans who clown chicken chow mein or general so's chicken also resent the fact that people assume that they don't speak english right but if you're if your whole raison d'etre is authenticity you shouldn't be offended that people assume you speak chinese because if you're going to be the authentic chinese person (laughs) right like that's just i mean i'm being facetious but not really like i feel like that's that's how they sound to me when you clown Chinese American food and then profess like Asian Americanness and and you know perpetual foreign and all that shit. It's like the most Asian American thing we have is this Asian American food, Chinese American food, because as you said, it's a symbol of like survival and adaptation, right? And without being assimilation, right? Because it's still distinctly its own thing that straddles the the space between. So uh, what I would say, you're right. I, I mean, I I. I just instead of assimilation it's it's accretion we have added something right right there is this didn't exist before because you didn't have american ingredients and you didn't have chinese techniques right we have married those two things together and we have married those things two things together for like 180 years now right that 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 this has been in in, in growing and, and in formation and you know, it's funny because uh, like authenticity is th- it's it's a weird idea when like if you think about whatever you whatever st- the standard American chicken chow mein, right? How old is boba? Right. <laughs> How old is boba? What like nineteen eighties, nineteen nineties? Get the fuck out of here! It's not, exactly. It's, not, it, it's it's it. There is no like long chain of history to make this. This is how you know you're authentically Asian. Because you're thank you, know. you now now let me tie this all back though to an earlier point about the proliferation of technology and the proliferation of communication across continent. The fact that like boba as a late twentieth century, early twenty first century kind of craze, and, and the fact that it was able to permeate West Coast and eventually East Coast, and now it's for fucking everywhere, right? Like. It, the speed at which it's it, it became this totem of Asian American identity to to the point of of parody now to the point of camp 
that is an example of kind of, I don't know what the Asian American identity means in this mass cultural context. You know, we're at the tail end of Asian American History Month, and I feel like I noticed more this year than other years, a lot of corporations wanting to celebrate Asian voices, right? Like, I guess it's because a lot of people are like fucking beating the shit out of Asians. So they're yeah, like, I think we want to stop be, Asian we want to be especially, yeah, we want to be especially like vocal about supporting our Asian brothers and sisters or what have you, that there has been an, it's, it's been very noticeable that it's a lot of Asian and Asian American versus purely Asian American um, right. kind of libraries of films or, or music or, or what have you. And, and it's, it's an interesting, we're in an interesting moment for the Asian American identity where, it was defined by its paucity of connection to the motherland, right? Right, right. The the either sometimes by choice, sometimes against our will, right? Because you're the our situation. We're the first generation kids, and we don't speak the language, and so we're it, it feels so distantly far. And then other, you know, and then the other version is uh, you're refugees, and you're you can't go back for for whatever mm-hmm. reason, right? But that's different now. Even now, like now. You go online and, and whatever enclave, ethnic, political, religious, you find them online and you can continue to push the tradition. You can continue to push the identity and, and, and it sets with you and can stay with you longer. So we're, we're in this interesting space where what does the Asian American identity look like in a global context that is completely different from what we were doing. Yeah, like the the notion that a K-pop band like BTS right. can not only permeate, you know, the culture, but be the biggest fawned over by non-Asians. Sure. Like, in fact, I almost feel like the BTS's fan base is more non-Asian than it is Asian now. You know, I mean, there's no way you get the number one record in the country without being a crossover, right? Right. And that's unheard of, you know, and you know, I talk about it all the time with my wife is like J-pop never crossed over. Canto pop never crossed over. Like what? And I think to your point, it's because the Internet didn't exist in the 90s the way it does now. It definitely didn't exist in the 80s. Like when when those waves of like Canto pop and J-pop were were what dominated Asian pop culture. Right. Just the the ease at which. You have access to your what you said, like you know the access that you had to Stephen Chow movies. Multiply that by ten thousand right. for whoever the seven year old Raymond of twenty twenty one is. But also your parents having that same level of access, right? Like the the fact that it the whole unit like will be experiencing it together at the same time. But so so to that point, then my whole crusade for putting some respect on American Chinese food's name is is a artifact of a bygone era then, right because to what you're saying being asian american isn't about taking american ingredients and infusing it with asian techniques right because now that's just fusion and infusion is looked down upon it is about well i'm going to do the thing that's most related to the motherland so i'm going to have you know very specific foods and and you know, like this this notion of like being Asian American is now a global thing and not, you know, what we said before. Asian American kids now are bilingual and proudly bilingual, right? Like you have weeaboos learning right. <laughs> Japanese and Korean now. Right. 
and loving Avatar. <laughs> but that's a different podcast. Yeah. So I'm not going to ask you to share your social medias because I know you don't do social media. But uh, is there anything that you would like folks to to know about either you online or something online that you want to just shine a light on? Well, I mean, I you know we have our mutual friend Jerry Ma who. Uh, he just came out with his Kickstarter of the Monkey King project, which is a relates to our conversation and and about you know what is what is the Chinese American experience for a certain generation and this marriage of Chinese mythology and a New York setting is a very it's very specifically Chinese American right and his Kickstarter is on its like last ten days and so. You know, if you haven't kickstarted, if you haven't uh, donated to that, I would ask people to donate to that because some of the money that will go into his Kickstarter is going to stores around Chinatown as well. As part of his stretch goals, he's handing out money to people in Chinatown. Like literally walking He's literally handing out money to people in Chinatown. <laughs> yeah. Great plug. Definitely support the Monkey King, yeah. a Chinatown Make sure Odyssey. Jerry knows that I plugged him. <laughs> yeah. Will do. I'm gonna put that. That's the yeah, that's, that's the title that's of the, the title, podcast. Jer- Ray plugs Jerry. <laughs> that's a that's a different movie. Me and Jerry made. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me, Raymond, and uh, allowing me to have you on the podcast. I, I hope you get more guests soon. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, the June episode will also be me and Raymond <laughs> yeah. unpacking. Yeah. Some more of my childhood trauma. Until then, you can follow me on Twitter at the real child, the underscore real underscore child, and follow this podcast at Southern Asians on Twitter and at Southern Fried Asians on Instagram. Go to Hard Knock Media to find this and all of the podcasts in the network, including the brand new podcast Raymond alluded to earlier, Shelf Conscious, which is my little toy podcast where I can finally talk about the things I actually care about, and that's action figures the sound wave what Soundwave. what and i didn't even bring it Don't up you care. brought it up i know God no damn it. i know That's, i went an i was, hour and I was half. very proud of you you didn't bring it up once <laughs> i didn't bring it up once that i bought Soundwave the day you were born dad star you sound wave or whatever from best that's wait, the best so, part wait star star streams the plane Starscream is the plane. God, you don't act and stupid like no, you don't know you're transforming. Like, I, I'm sorry. I don't hold this knowledge tightly. <laughs> One thing we didn't get into, and maybe I will invite you back next month, is that you're the reason I'm into this nerd shit to begin with. Oh, okay. Had I not read whatever Nightfall issue you gave me when I came down eight. to Chesapeake. You ate. <laughs> and we started going to Trilogy Fire Comics Fire. every week. Yeah. Anyway, follow us at the Nerds of Color. Subscribe and download. Give us a like and a review. And uh, until next time, keep it Southern Fried, y'all. Oh.